Vince Lombardi is a legend, not only to Green Bay Packer football fans, but he is a legend to all football fans. And Vince Lombardi had an unusual way about how he, he coached his teams. And one time during a practice, a practice that wasn't going very well, Vince Lombardi singled out one of his big guards for poor play. It was a hot day. It was a humid day. It was a muggy day. And Lombardi said to this big guard, son, you are a lousy football player. You're not blocking. You're not tackling. You're not putting out. As a matter of fact, it's over for you today. Go hit the showers. The big guard started walking with his head down off the field. About 45 minutes later, Vince Lombardi went into the dressing room and and he found that big guard still sitting on the bench with his uniform on, with his head between his legs, sobbing. And Vince Lombardi, in the way that only he could do, walked over to the big guard and said, Son, I want you to know I told you the truth. You are a lousy football player. You're not blocking, you're not tackling, you're not putting out. But, but what I didn't do is finish the story. You see, inside of you, there's a great football player. And I am going to walk with you until that great football player comes out. And with those words, Jerry Kramer straightened up. And he became a great football player to the point that several years ago... He was named the top guard in the National Football League in the first 50 years of football. The power of encouragement. But let's become a little more recent. Everyone knows how the New England Patriots came from behind and and won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 51 this year. But do you remember what happened in Super Bowl 49? The New England Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks. And the New England Patriots were losing, but in the third quarter and the first of the fourth quarter, they came from behind and they went ahead and they were beating the Seattle Seahawks. The game was, was coming to a close and the Seattle Seahawks were driving. And, and their quarterback, Russell Wilson, threw this pass that seemed like an impossible pass to catch. And, and they had this rookie undrafted free agent guarding the best receiver on the Seattle Seahawks. The defensive back was Malcolm Butler, and and he went up and he tipped the ball. But somehow, some way, Jermaine Kersey made the catch. And that catch put the Seattle Seahawks within five yards of scoring the game-winning touchdown. Malcolm Butler was devastated. He was defeated. He felt like he had lost the game. And he went to the sideline, and he was beating his pads. His face looked dejected, and someone caught on camera. The rest of his teammates coming up to Malcolm Butler and saying, Hey, you made a great play. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. You did great. Malcolm Butler lifted up his head and He went back in the game two plays later, and Russell Wilson went to throw a pass into the end zone for the game-winning score from the one-yard line. And Malcolm Butler stepped in front of that pass and intercepted it to win the game. 
the power of encouragement. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And and then hold your place there and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We're in a series that we're calling One Anothering. How you and I are to live in relationship with one another as the family of God. And last week as we kicked off this series, we talked about how we are to be devoted to one another, how we are to be committed to one another. And what that means is that we are to work out our problems. We don't walk away from our problems. The truth of the matter is, in any relationship, you're going to have problems, you're going to have struggles, you're going to have difficulties because Truth of the matter is, none of us are perfect people. We're sinful people, and we all have baggage. We all have problems. And so, in our relationships, we're going to have problems. But if we're devoted to one another, when those problems occur, we're not going to walk away. We're going to be committed to work out those problems. And then we discover that when we're devoted to one another, we step in when other people step out. You see, in life, we're going to have our setbacks. In life, we're going to have our ups, and we're also going to have our downs. Each and every one of us, at some point in life, are going to be faced with a a problem that, that sets us back. It may be with us, where we failed. It may be with a family member. But we're going to face that in life. And what I've discovered is, all too often, when it comes to life, people are with us when it's going good. But when we face difficulties, when we have problems, when we have setbacks, it seems like those people that were with us when things were good, they, they're no longer with us. They step out of our life. But when we're devoted to one another, we don't step out when people are having difficult times. We step in and we walk with them. But today we're going to talk about that second one another, a one another that that we all need to receive and we all need to give, and, and that's the one another of encouragement. Every one of us in this room needs to receive encouragement to live. Someone called encouragement the oxygen of the soul. And, and every one of us needs to learn how to give encouragement, even Jesus The Son of God, God in the flesh, needed encouragement. When he was in Gethsemane, before he was betrayed, and before he was nailed to the cross and put to death, he called together his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus said this. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me. Keep watch. Here's Jesus. God, in flesh and blood, who knew what it was to feel overwhelmed with discouragement, and he needed people around him to encourage him. I I imagine each and every one of us here this morning, when we hear that word encouragement, we can immediately think of someone who has been an encouragement to us. For me... It's my mom. For a lot of my life, I've I've struggled with feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of 
of just that I, I don't measure up, that, that I'm, I'm not going to be good enough. And yet, as I was growing up, and God called me into ministry, my mom would say to me over and over and over again, Rocky, you are going to be an incredible preacher. Rocky, God is going to use you to win hundreds and thousands of even millions of people to Jesus. And I want you to know that I, in part, am the person I am today. I'm the preacher I am today because of the encouragement that my mother gave me. I have a heart for souls today, in part, because my mother so encouraged me in that area. She believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. John Maxwell said this. He said, when a person feels encouragement, he can face the impossible and overcome incredible adversity. That's the power of encouragement. Now, I've got to be honest. I'm not by nature an encourager. You may not be either. And I don't have the spiritual gift of encouragement. The Bible says that that, that is a gift that God gives some people when, when they are saved. And yet, even though I by nature am not that way, and even though I've not been given that spiritual gift, the Bible still commands me to encourage other people. And you need to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a part of his family, then the Bible commands you to encourage other people. Now let's just look quickly at those two passages I gave you. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In the last part of chapter 4, Paul is talking to the believers in Thessalonica. And he says this, he says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. In other words, he said, when you experience loss and when you face death, I don't want you to be like those who don't have any hope for the future. And then Paul says this. He says, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the same Lord that went up into heaven is coming back again. And when he does, those who have already died who know Jesus are going to be resurrected and we will meet them and we will be with them forever. And then Paul said this at the end of chapter 4. He said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. In in other words, in light of the fact that, that death is not the end for those of us who are believers, in light of the fact that It's not the final separation. In light of the fact that that one day we will see those we love again, Paul said, encourage one another. And then when he gets to chapter 5, he he says this, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. But what we do know is that the times are going to be dark. They're going to be difficult times. But then he says this in verse 9. Listen to what he says. He said, for God chose to save us Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Two times in in a matter of just a few verses, Paul says, I want you to encourage one another. In this instance, he says, Jesus saved you. He, he, didn't, 
create you to pour his wrath on you. He didn't create you to pour his anger out on you. No, God saved you for a relationship. And through Jesus, you can have that relationship. And you can have the hope of eternal life. So don't get discouraged when it gets difficult out there in the world. No. Encourage one another. And then in Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 and following. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, see to it, brothers, that, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at the first. The author of Hebrews told us about a struggle that each of us faced. A struggle with sin and temptation and the, the powers of darkness that are trying to overwhelm us and destroy us. And, and he tells us that because of the temptation of sin, it's so easy for us to harden our hearts. Because of the temptations of sin, it's so easy for us to be deceived by the power of this world. And because of this, Paul says, we who know Jesus need to encourage one another. How often? How often? Daily. Because of this, we need to encourage one another daily so that we are not deceived. Because in the end, it's those who make it to the end who will be saved. Now that word encourage is found almost 150 times in some form or another in Scripture. The Greek word that is translated encourage 150 times. It's translated consolation. It's translated comfort. It's translated exhort, implore, plead. Sometimes it's translated advocate. Sometimes it's translated Helper. The word literally means to come alongside. It, it, it implies with it proximity, closeness, relationship. If you come alongside someone, you are with them. I think a, a good way for us to explain this is, is encouragement means that I walk alongside someone through life for the purpose of building them up. You see, encouragement isn't an event. Encouragement is a lifestyle. It's not something that we, we do here and we do there. No, encouragement is making the commitment to walk alongside people as they walk through life for the purpose of building them up. Now, to understand encouragement isn't flattery. There's some that think that. They think that encouragement has to do with always saying good things about people. And sometimes we have to think real hard to think of those good things, right? But that's not what encouragement is. William Arthur Ward once said this. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. But encourage me. And I will not forget you. You see, what makes the difference in many of our lives, whether we succeed or whether we fail, is if we have someone 
who encourages us, who believes in us, who is walking alongside of us through life. Now what's interesting is this word that is translated encourage is the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John. Four times Jesus uses this word for encourage to describe the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, the helper, the encourager, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all that I have told you. The word that, that God says you and I are to do to one another is the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit walks alongside of us in life to, to build us up. What that means is when we are encouraging others, get this, we are doing the work of the Holy Spirit. We are doing God's work. And the opposite is equally true. When we're discouraging people and criticizing people, when we're tearing them down with our words or our actions, we're doing the work of Satan. You see, this thing called encouragement is a big deal. We're either coming alongside people to encourage them like God does, or we're coming alongside them to tear them apart and tear them down like Satan does. And so we have a choice to make. Now, a great example in the Bible of encouragement is Barnabas. We're first told of Barnabas in, in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we, we are told that there are people in the church who had pieces of property and they were selling the property and they were laying it at the apostles' feet for the apostles to use to, to minister to the needs of the body. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says this, And so it was that Joseph, a Levite born in Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means one who encourages. Barnabas was nicknamed the one who encourages. And he had a piece of property and he saw a need. And so he sold that piece of property. He brought the money that he got from selling that piece of property. Gave it to the apostles and said, here, use this to meet needs in Jesus' name. The very first time we see Barnabas, he is selling a piece of property to encourage and, and lift up others. We don't see Barnabas again until Acts chapter 9. Saul has just gotten saved. A miracle. And as you can imagine, no one in the church wanted anything to do with Saul. They were scared to death of him because he was the persecutor of the church. He was the one who had made it his life mission to destroy the church. And so no one would have anything to do with him. But Barnabas heard this. And he went out and he got Saul and he took Saul to the apostles. And he introduced Saul to the apostles and he said, listen, this man is legit. He's the real deal. You need to trust him. You need to build a relationship with him. You need to help him. And so Barnabas began to encourage Saul. And then we read about Barnabas again in Acts chapter 11. Saul had now gone to Tarsus, his 
hometown and he was there preparing for the ministry and and Barnabas was in Antioch and a great movement of God occurred in Antioch and so Barnabas decided that he was going to go to Tarsus to get Saul and let Saul help him in the work that God was doing here and so he went to Tarsus to get Saul brought him back to Antioch and helped him fulfill the calling that God had on his life in Acts chapter 13 Saul and Barnabas and the other leaders of the church are praying and, and God says, I want you to set apart Saul and Barnabas for me and for the mission that I've called them to do. And so Barnabas and Saul became the first missionaries of the church. Barnabas walked right there alongside Saul, now known as Paul. And then we read about Barnabas again when, when they were getting ready to go on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas and Paul had a little bit of a disagreement. You see, there was this young man named John Mark who had gone with them on the first journey, but he had gotten scared. He had gotten homesick. And so he went home. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the second missionary journey with him. And Paul said, no way. He's a quitter. I'm not taking him. Barnabas said, you may not be taking him. But I am going to take him. And so Paul and Barnabas split ways. Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. And it's a good thing that he did. Because Mark gave us the second gospel. Matthew, Mark. And Mark became one of Paul's greatest helpers later on in Paul's life. The power... Of encouragement. Who knows? The person that you are walking alongside today may become a Paul. They may become a John Mark of the church. You never know. Continue to encourage one another. So, what does this encouragement look like? I want you to turn with me in a passage of scripture that it's not on your note sheet. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. But I really feel led to, I feel like there's some truths here that initially we weren't going to bring out that I feel like we need to bring out. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. I want you to listen to what it says. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, our merciful Father, and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Now, every time you heard that word comfort or comforted, it is the Greek word for encouragement. It's said over and over and over. Now, let me give you some truths. First of all, it says here that God is the source of all comfort. 
God is the source of all encouragement. That doesn't mean that a non-believer can encourage you. They can. As a matter of fact, some of the people that have been most encouraging to me at times have been unbelievers. And so this isn't saying that you can't encourage if you're not a believer. But what it is saying is whatever source that encouragement comes from, it ultimately comes from the Lord. You see, our God is a merciful Father who loves us and He wants to encourage us like none other. And so when you're down and discouraged, when you feel like you're at the very end of your rope, when you feel like turning loose or giving up, when you feel like you can't go any further, you need to understand that your Heavenly Father is a merciful Father. Your Creator loves you and He is the source of all encouragement. And so when you get down, when you feel discouraged, that's not the time to turn your back on Him. That's the time to run to Him and discover the encouragement that only He can give. Second, He comforts us in our troubles. The word for trouble there is is a Greek word that's translated tribulation, meaning spiritual tribulation at times. It's translated pressure at times, which means physical or earthly pressure. And to be honest with you, there are times in our life that that we go through difficulties because of our commitment to Christ. There are other times that we go through difficulties simply because we live in a fallen world. But understand, hear my heart. The Bible says in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your pain, our merciful Father wants to give you encouragement. His desire is not that you walk through life with hurt and pain and sorrow. He created you to live in a perfect world. But because of humanity's sinful choices, that perfect world was destroyed. So now you and I have difficult times. But in the midst of these difficult times, until everything is made new, we can find comfort through our Father in the midst of our troubles. Third, God encourages you so that you can encourage others. Someone put it this way, there's always a purpose in your pain. There's always a purpose in your pain. Now that doesn't mean that God causes every pain that we face. He doesn't, but what God can do is take our pain and make it productive. God can take the most horrific experiences of our life and produce a healing bomb that he can use in us and through us to minister to other people. And so what have you been through? What is the valley that you have faced? What is the difficult time that you've walked through? Because here's what I know. God can take that pain and he can turn it into your ministry. Some of you have experienced loss of people you love. Some of you know what it is to go through the pain and suffering of of cancer. Some of you know what it is to lose a job. Some of you know what it is to go through a painful divorce and and, and be left alone. Some of you know what it's like to go through an abortion and and, and the pain that follows that. And, And there's all kind of other pains out there. 
And understand, God did not create those pains for you. Those pains are a result of you and I living in a fallen world with fallen humanity. But the truth of the matter is, in the midst of each and every pain we face, God can take that pain and he can help heal you. And then he can turn that pain into an opportunity for you to minister to other people. So don't waste your pain. Use your pain as an opportunity to minister. Fifth, God's word is one of the greatest sources of encouragement we have. And so we've got to read it. Listen to what it says in Romans 15 verse 4. It says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And these scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. When we make it our practice to systematically read God's word, we will discover other people that have gone through things very similar to what we're going through. And we will discover that there are people in God's word that have gone through much worse than what we are going through. And as we read their stories, we will discover how God was with them and how God ministered to them and we'll discover what God said to them in the midst of their pain. There are some of you that the only dose you get of God's word is is on Sundays. And, and you wonder why you're always down and you're always discouraged and you feel so defeated. It's because the book that can encourage you like none other is not a part of your daily life. You've got to read it. And finally, encouragement is one of the main reasons we come to church. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The closer we get to the the second coming of our Lord, the more we need the body of Christ. The more we need to regularly, weekly come together to encourage one another. Because the days in which we live are evil. And if we're out there on our, long, uh, on our own, isolated, the chance of our enemy getting us is much more likely. So what does this encouragement look like? How, how can I do it on a regular basis? Let me give you several things and then we're going to close. First of all, celebrate baby steps. Now let's be honest. Spiritual growth, much like our physical growth, happens over time, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. How many of you went to bed one night, you woke up the next morning, you were one foot taller, you were 30 pounds heavier? It doesn't happen that way. We may have growth spurts, but it just doesn't happen that way. And the same thing that is true physically is true spiritually. You see, occasionally we'll hear this story about this person who was a drug addict or an alcoholic for for 30 years and they get saved and they, they never have a desire to drink alcohol or use that drug again. And we rejoice in that, but then we look at our struggles and we go, that's not my story. And the truth of the matter is, that's not most people's story. 
You see, most of us, when we're saved, we're changed on the inside. Our heart is changed. We have a desire to live for Jesus. But the outside, the change that happens there, it's a process. And as we walk through this process, we find ourselves taking two steps forward and one step back, and two steps forward and one step back. And here's what we oftentimes do in the church. We focus on the step back rather than the steps forward. (laughs) Think of it this way. You who are parents. If your child is getting to that age where they're about ready to walk, what do you do? You're watching them all the time. You've got GoPro cameras set up all around your house to catch the moment. And one day, one day, you're there in the family room, the den, the living room, and, and your little one, they pull themselves up on the coffee table or the couch or the, the chair, and you're watching. And all of a sudden, they, they take the step, and you're going, and then they try to take the other step, and they fall flat on their face. You, you don't go, oh, such a failure. One step. They're never going to amount to anything. That's not what you do. You you go, babe, our kid's going to make it to the Olympics. You should have seen that step. I got a picture. It's going on Instagram, Facebook. Call your parents. The world needs to know. That's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate that step. And that's what we need to do as believers. We need to celebrate the the baby steps. We don't need to focus on the step backward, the fall down. We need to focus on the steps forward. Second, notice when things go right. I've discovered that we expect things to go right, right? It's when things don't go right that we notice, right? Oh, that's what you do. It's cold in there today. Somebody didn't set the air like they were supposed to. Pastor, did you hear that mic? You hear what happened? Well, no, I'm deaf. No, I didn't hear that. Pastor, it's 12 o'clock. I've got a dinner date. You went over today. We, we focus on the things that we perceive as mistakes. And we never focus on those things that are positive and good. And we need to focus on those good things. Third, we encourage with our presence, with our help, and at times with our words. The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. There are times that the most encouraging thing you can do is just sit with someone. There are other times that the most encouraging thing you can do is do something for them. And occasionally, you can throw in a word. But understand, there are times when you never have to say a word. You just need to be there. 
You just need to do something. Fourth, don't ignore mistakes. Some people have the idea that if you're going to be encouraged, you can never hold someone accountable. You can never confront someone when they do wrong. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the helper, the encourager. But do you remember what the Holy Spirit does first when he comes? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict of sin and of righteousness and the judgment to come. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I are to play Holy Spirit in people's lives. But what it does mean, if we are going to participate in this divine act called encouragement, there are times that we have to hold people's feet to the fire. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this. He said, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. That word beg is the Greek word for encouragement. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You've been called by God. And then in chapter 4, Paul tells us all these things that they're not doing and all of these things that they need to be doing. He calls them out. And yet he says that what he's doing is encouraging them. So how can we encourage? Sometimes in a phone call. Sometimes through getting a cup of coffee. Occasionally through a text or a letter. Sometimes it's just coming and sitting. At times it's just praying for. But but we need to encourage one another because the day is short. Now, let me get transparent for just a minute. How can you encourage me as your pastor? Pastors need encouragement too. Well, one, you can pray for me. Pray for my family. That's so important. See, pastors feel isolated at times. Feel like they're all alone. Second, you can work with me. You can recognize that what we're doing here is bigger than our differences. We've got a divine purpose in mind. And so we set aside some of our preferences and some of our petty differences and we work together to build the kingdom. Third, you can be loyal to your church. And I know that pastors aren't supposed to do this, but can I tell you, when people leave a church, pastors take it personally. It hurts when, when you're standing up on a Sunday morning and you think to yourself as you're looking out, wait a second, so-and-so isn't here. Have I seen them in, in, in a while? And you look and you find out they haven't been in several months and then all of a sudden you find out they're going to another church. And, and people will say things like this, well, it's nothing personal Can I give you the Greek word for that? Don't be offended. Here's the Greek word, bull hockey. (laughs) I've never met a pastor, a shepherd of a flock who isn't hurt when people leave the church. And, And then finally, invite people. Now this may sound a little bit egotistical. It's not, but... I mean, nothing is more encouraging than someone who proclaims the word than knowing that you believe that he's proclaiming the word to the point that you're willing to invite your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers to come hear the word. I mean, when 
When people who proclaim the word know that you're inviting people because you trust their proclamation of the word, that is encouraging. That's how you can encourage me. Let me close with a story. Keith Miller, in his book, Passionate People, describes two kinds of people, basement people and balcony people. I want to read to you what he says so I don't mess it up. He says, basement people are the discouragers in our lives. They may be people from our past or present, but their words go with us everywhere we go. They are the negative influencers in our lives, and their words go something like this. You can't do that. That's a stupid thing to do. When are you going to get it right? You will never get it right. You will never amount to anything. Basement people divert us from our hopes and dreams. They constantly point out what is wrong rather than what is right with us. Basement people cause a room to light up when they leave. In contrast to them, they're balcony people. They are people who are full of love and cheer us on. They encourage us to be loving, courageous followers of Christ. They sit in the balcony of our lives like a heavily cheering section saying, you can do it. We believe in you. You are special to us. Balcony people are the great encouragers in our lives, and we all need them. The question for all of us is, who will we be? Will we be the basement people or balcony people? The choice is ours to make. Balcony people try to lift people up to where they are, but basement people try to drag people down to where they are. So what kind of person are you going to be? The choice is ours. We're going to choose to be obedient to God's word and be encouragers. Or we're going to choose to be like our adversary, Satan, and be discouragers. So which are we going to be? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I want to ask you to do something very simple. You don't need my help to do this. You're sitting back here today and you're going, golly, I, I need to be an encourager. I want to be an encourager. I need God to help me be an encourager. Then tell him. You don't need my help to pray that prayer. Just say, Lord, I need to be an encourager. I need to lift people up. Help me to be the encourager I need to be. Just tell him. Tell him right now. With your head bowed, your eyes still closed. The truth of the matter is, some of us need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit right now. Remember, when the Spirit comes, He convicts us of our sin and our need for righteousness. And there's a judgment to come. Before the Holy Spirit can ever come alongside of us and walk with us through life, we have to respond to Him and admit that we need Him. And if you're here today and you're at that point where you recognize you've never given your heart and life to the only one who loves you unconditionally, and that's Jesus, then I want to encourage you to swallow your pride and give your life to Jesus by praying this prayer. Dear Jesus, come to you today acknowledging my need. 
I'm a sinner. Blown it. So tired of living in rebellion. Forgive me. I need you. Right now, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new on the inside, I pray. Amen.